and tap your way to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I've been preaching a little series entitled Good Success because God said to Joshua, as he's about to lead the people of Israel out from under Moses, out of the wilderness, into the promised land, and God speaks to him before he goes forth and says to him in verse 8 of the first chapter, This book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful. King James, I like it. It says so that you may see how to do all that is written in it. Because then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have, everyone say it with me, good success. Not just any success. Good success. Not every success is a good success. Good success uh, leads you, leaves you in a good condition once you've arrived. And a good success is about the goodness of God all along the way in the journey. So we've been preaching about good success. And this morning I want to share with you, taking, a, taking a, an example from the life of Joseph, God's model of success. Joseph, God's model of success. Let me take a few minutes and just review for you the life of Joseph. I know that most of you are familiar with it, but, but there may be some that are here today that are not, and, and it wouldn't hurt to have the details of his life refreshed for you. First of all, Joseph was, was born, and uh, along with his 11 brothers, in the line of Abraham, who had a covenant with God. And along with his brothers, Joseph was the favorite among his 11 brothers, of his father, Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph, made him that wonderful coat, that spectacular multicolored coat, to let his brothers and everyone else know that he was his dad's favorite. And his brothers would go out in the field and work and toil, and Joseph would kind of sit at home and do whatever he wanted to do, and his dad would send him on little errands. And needless to say that his, his brothers grew a little weary of the little prince's tediousness and the, so they had a little bit of an attitude problem towards Joseph. Well, it's understandable, except for the fact, and it would have been all right, that, that Joseph ends up having a couple of dreams from God. God visits him in his sleep and gives him dreams where he, show, he sees his brothers and his father bowing down before him and honoring him, almost worshiping him. Well, the little guy's so excited he runs and tells his brothers and his dad. And, of course, they didn't break out the wine and the cheese and celebrate. They actually, they actually said, you know what, we have to get rid of this. He's, I, I can't take any more of this. And one day they caught him out in the field when he brought him some lunch from his dad. And they sold him into slavery to an Ishmaelite slave caravan heading down to Egypt and that carries Joseph in one moment his whole life is turned around he's ripped from his home from the bosom of his family from his people his culture his language and he goes down in irons into Egypt where he is sold as a slave in Egypt to a man named Potiphar who is the captain of Pharaoh's honor guard and he becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar the captain of the uh, Pharaoh, the emperor's guard. But down in that house, something unusual happens because the fact is that the dream that he had indicated that God was with Joseph. In spite of the way Joseph handled announcing the dream, God was with him. 
And, and Joseph treasured God in his heart. God was everything to him. So now he is a slave, and he's in an unfamiliar land, and his whole life is, has been just shipwrecked. But as a slave in Potiphar's house, he's prospering. And Potiphar notices that everything he does turns to gold. And Potiphar notices that God's with him until one day his wife gets interested in him and decides that she wants to have him. But, you know, Joseph, God's with him, and he loves God, so he tries to explain to the man's wife, God would not be pleased with this. Please let me go. And in his effort to get away from her, she grabs his shirt and rips his clothes off him as he's running away. And, of course, he's upset her. And so when her husband comes home, she says, this kid tried to have his way with me. Look, I've got his clothes right here. Well, Potiphar takes him. And he puts him in Pharaoh's deepest, darkest prison. So he goes from slavery in the house of Potiphar to being a captive in the emperor's prison. And that would be the end of his life. Except something happens in the prison. And he continues to prosper. Now, I don't know how you prosper in prison. But apparently, it can happen. Because this guy prospers in prison. He's in there for years. And he's, he prospers so much in prison that, like Potiphar, when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, the warden of the prison puts him over all the prisoners. And he's running the prison for the warden. Until one day, two of the servants of the emperor, Pharaoh, are thrown into prison. And they both have dreams, disturbing dreams. Now, God's with Joseph, and so Joseph can interpret dreams. And when they're disturbed about the dreams, they say something to Joseph. He says, well, tell me the dreams. God will reveal the meaning. And God did reveal the meaning. And he tells the first guy, you're going to be executed. Sure enough, they took him out the next day and executed him. But the second guy says, you're going to be set free. And when you're set free and you're restored to your position at the Pharaoh's table, remember me. And mention my name to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. Well, a couple of days later, the man is released. He's restored to his position in Pharaoh's house. But two years go by and he says absolutely nothing to Pharaoh about Joseph. So he spends two more years in prison until one day Pharaoh wakes up from a terrible dream that he's had that disturbs him. And he calls all of his magicians and wise men, and he tries to get them to discern the dream, and none of them can discern or tell the meaning of the dream. But the man that was in prison with Joseph says, hey, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. He's in your prison. He interpreted my dream, and it came to pass. And he told them about the other guy, and Pharaoh said, go get him. And they bring Joseph that very day before Pharaoh, clean him up, put some clothes on him, and he stands before Pharaoh. And he interprets the dream. He says, Emperor, you have dreamed about seven years of abundance and prosperity coming upon the earth, coming upon your land, followed by seven years of horrible drought. And the Pharaoh realizes, yes, that's exactly what I dreamed about. He says, what do I do? And instantly, Joseph says, if I could make a suggestion, I suggest that during those seven years, you authorize some people to gather all the grain and the food and store it up, and you'll have plenty 
so that during the seven years of famine, not only you and all of Egypt, but all the nations around that are surely going to suffer under this famine will come and they will be fed from Egypt's storehouses. The Pharaoh is so impressed, like Potiphar, like the warden, he sees God is with this guy. And instantly, that very moment, he raises him from prison to become the prime minister of Egypt. No one has more authority in all the empire, the greatest empire on the face of the earth at that time, except the Pharaoh. And he puts the wealth of his house and all of his authority under him. The next seven years, Joseph does exactly what he advised the Pharaoh to do. And then the famine comes. During the years of famine, people are starving, but not down in Egypt. And his father and his brothers, who he obviously has not seen in many, many, many years, hear that there's food down in Egypt. And his father sends the brothers down there to try to get some food. They make an appearance before Joseph, and they don't recognize him. And you're probably familiar with the story. I won't go into all the details. But through a sequence of events, they realize that this is Joseph. And they and their father are welcomed down into Egypt, and they live through the famine, and they prosper, and they're the honored guests of the Pharaoh. And the dream was completely fulfilled. His brothers and his father bow before Joseph, He is the prime minister of the greatest empire on the face of the earth. They must have been stunned. (laughs) I can't even talk about it without a smile running across my face when I think about God's idea of success. Well, let's talk about Joseph for a few minutes, and let's use him as an example of your life. Was there ever a more tragic situation than Joseph's? The man was stripped of everything. No family, no friends. Think about it. Put yourself in that situation. No money, no credit, no credible education. He's in a foreign land. No social connection, no citizenship, no language to be able to communicate, no freedom, no rights. We feel we can't do anything unless we have certain rights, certain freedoms. And no legal path. There's no way out. Was there ever a more hopeless condition than the condition that Joseph found himself in? There was absolutely nothing in Joseph's situation for him to base any reasonable hope on. None. And Genesis 39 and 3 said that as he served in Potiphar's house, Potiphar, his master, saw. Everyone say saw. So this is something that this unsaved heathen saw. His master saw the Lord was with him so that the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. Let me read this verse that sums up the life of Joseph in Genesis 39, 1 and 2. Now Joseph had been brought down into Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, The captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now listen to this. Here's the sentence. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. God's idea of success. 
is an amazing one, isn't it? The Bible says he was in the house of Potiphar as a slave. No citizenship, no money, nothing, no freedom, no rights, no friends. Yet he was a successful man. And Potiphar saw the success. And apparently the success was so dramatic. Whatever he planted grew. Whatever he attempted succeeded. His counsels all turned out to be right. And Potiphar looked and he could see God was in these successes. No natural man could have the kind of successes Joseph has. The Bible doesn't tell us what those successes were, but it says that so dramatic were those successes that, uh, that his, his owner, if you will, Potiphar, saw God is with this guy. And so he puts him over his house. Now, I would like you to consider the irony. We all know what irony is, the ironicness of things as we see them sometimes, the ironic situations we find ourselves in. Consider the irony of Joseph's life. One of the most ironic verses in the Bible is found in Psalm 105 from verse 17 down to verse 22 as it describes Joseph's life. It begins with these four powerful words, God sent a man. God sent a man. Now he's talking about Joseph being dragged down to Egypt in irons as a slave. I'm sure Joseph wasn't laying in those irons thinking it's great to be in the ministry. It's so good to serve God and to have a calling. I am so excited God is sending me to a church plant. God sent a man ahead of them, ahead of Jacob and, the, and ahead of the famine. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. What an ironic verse. God sent a man who was sold as a slave. God sent a man who was sold as a slave. God sent a man. What's going on in your life? God sent a man. What are your problems? God said, did God send a man? Was he sold as a slave? But did God send that man? Come on, church. I'm using English. I'm doing my best here. Come on, praise the Lord. Help me a little bit. God sent a man, Joseph, sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, and his neck was put in a collar of iron. I thought when you get called, you get a nice loose collar, comfortable collar. Not an iron collar, but he's called, he's son of God, he's got an, an iron collar. Listen to this next verse. Until what he had said, when he gave, the, when he gave his dream about, about how they would honor him, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That's all God said about all those years in Potiphar's house and all those years in prison. Until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king, the Pharaoh, sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free and made him lord of his house, ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Consider the irony are you listening to me? Look at the dramatic space between his circumstances and what God said about him and what God fulfilled. Consider the irony that the man with no money and no possessions rules the emperor's government and his wealth. 
He's not even a citizen. Consider the irony. Consider the irony that the former slave without citizenship is given total authority to arrest and imprison the emperor's rulers. Consider the irony. We need him in government today. Say amen. Glory to God. He can go in, shut down the IRS, clean up the EPA, go, go walk through Congress, just straighten them all out. That's what he was in Egypt. He was given full authority to clean out the government and he was a former slave with no citizenship. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. Consider that a foreigner without any education couldn't even speak the language when he, when he lands in Egypt, becomes the chief instructor of the emperor's wise men. He puts all the wise men, all the deans of all the universities under Joseph in one snap of his finger. Puts them under Joseph, says, learn from this guy. And if they won't learn, throw them in prison. The irony is amazing, isn't it? We think that success is the accomplishing of things, the accumulating of things, all things that, that man has to give you and man has to recognize. This guy had none of that. He became the prime minister of the greatest empire on the face of the earth in one split second. Can you say Amen. Now, the road there was a little long and hard. But I'm preaching this this morning so that you will not despise your road and you'll understand what, what God who has called you is wanting to do in your life. Can you say amen? Now consider that this pattern of Joseph's life is not unique to Joseph. In fact, this is the pattern that God has used throughout history and continues to use today with everyone that he calls and everyone that he sends forth in life. It's a mathematical equation. Can I give it to you? Here it is. One person bound in their need and limitations. This is the beginning of the equation. One person bound in their need and limitations plus God equals good success. Can I say it again? One person with nothing in the worst of conditions plus God equals good success. Now, that's God's math. That certainly is not the world's math. And if you're trying to live by the world's math, you're unhappy and maybe even resentful of your circumstances, and you're not understanding the path you're, not, you're on. You're not understanding what's going on in your life. Joseph never let go. Although he couldn't figure out where he was heading in life, probably gave up hope of ever even seeing his family again, but he held on to God. See, you don't need to understand everything. You just need the one who does understand everything. God was with him. That's why he was successful. God was with him. Consider the irony of it all. Everybody that God uses walks this same road. Abraham, Moses, David, all of the disciples. One person bound in their limitations plus God equals good success. Brother Paul said it like this, 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you wise were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. Everyone say foolish. Has anyone ever said, that is a, that's foolish. You're silly. 
God's chosen what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are nothing. Has anyone ever said to you, you're nothing? You'll never be anything. You're a nothing. How many people are walking through house, walking through life today like they've got a house of bricks on their shoulders because a mother or a father or a teacher or some friends or some not-so-friendly not people told them, you're nothing, you'll never be anything. And they're walking through life under that, bent down, can't lift their head up, can't lift their life up because of the opinions that have been set on them. And all the money we're spending trying to get those bricks off their back by saying to them, oh, no, no, that's not true, no, you're you're significant you're wonderful and man trying to heal himself it's pathetic it it's an expensive industry a lot of money's made off of that industry hallelujah amen you understand what i'm talking about but consider your calling i'm going to say something to you, you may rattle your cage this morning just stay with me on this verse even the low and the despised things that are nothing god chose to bring to nothing the things that are something, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Can I tell you this morning, you're called to live an ironic life. Don't despise the irony. You're called to live and walk an ironic walk. We don't like the fact that we're nothing. We don't like the fact that we're low-born. We don't like the fact that we're disqualified. We don't like it. We resent the fact that compared to everybody else and that standard of success, we are foolish. We don't like it, but God said, that's the irony that I have given you as a calling. Consider your calling. Here we are in church trying to, trying to make people something in the eyes of the world are you listening to me this morning we're trying to take away the very thing that makes our testimony the foolishness the low born the the destitute the things that are nothing we we're praying every day i i wonder what percentage of our prayers are being aimed at trying to undo all those things that are uncomfortable all those things that we don't like because we want some respect. We want to feel like we can hold our head up. We want to feel like we've achieved something. God's not interested in you achieving something in the eyes of men, but he is interested in taking you from being a slave and in one moment making you the prime minister of Egypt because everyone will say God is with him. He doesn't care about the foolishness and the things that are nothing, and neither should you. What you ought to care about is God with me. And he is with us. Can we say amen? amen? Consider your calling, the apostle Paul says. A man who had everything and in his zeal messed his life up so bad that he finds himself fighting against Jesus face to face and realizes what a loser he is. His whole life has amounted to has brought him his education, everything's brought him to the point where he's on the wrong side, completely and totally deceived. Can you imagine waking up as a grown person, realizing everything you've worked for, all of your work efforts and accomplishments, you've married the wrong person? You have joined the wrong organization. You're on the wrong path. There's, in fact, there's nothing about you that's right. 
And to make matters worse, everything you're doing is going against God's will. You are the enemy of God, and the whole time you think you're his prince. That was the Apostle Paul. So you talk about being nothing. The Apostle Paul became nothing. He said, I count all that as loss and dung that I might win Christ. So consider the irony that the limitations that you struggle against or that you might even resent, foolishness, weakness, lowness, things that are despised in the eyes of people, they may be part of your calling. Consider your calling. Consider the irony. They may be part of your calling. Not that God has called you to be low or God has called you to be a failure, but he has called you from lowness to success as a Christian. David would be nothing without Goliath. Are you listening to me? David would be nothing without Goliath. Hallelujah. Now let me talk to you for a moment or two about the collar of iron. The collar of iron. Because the Bible says that the Bible says that, that Joseph was taken when God called him and put into a collar of iron. And you might feel you've got a collar of iron around your neck this morning. The scripture says his neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Can I tell you this morning concerning whatever potential collar of iron you may be wrestling with in your life? Joseph's collar of iron, Joseph's circumstances were not a permanent statement from God. Stop thinking that the collar of iron or the fetters that you may experience in your circumstances are God's statement about who you are in his eyes or even what his ultimate will is about your life. Those circumstances, the collar of iron was only there until what he had prophesied came to pass. And during that time in the collar of iron, the word of the Lord tested him. So his circumstances were not God's permanent statement about him, but rather a temporary opportunity to believe and behave as the prince in his dream. Think about it. God gives him a prophetic dream. You open your Bible and you see that the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That you are more than a conqueror and an overcomer. That as Jesus is in 1 John chapter 4, so are you in this world. These tremendous promises. But you look at the what seems to be a collar of iron in your life and the irony of it all when contrasted against what the Word of God says. And what do you do? You need to realize that the circumstances you are in, that's not what God has called you to. It's what God has called you through. Are you listening to me? It's what God's called you through, not what God's called you to. And those are an opportunity for you to believe, double down, bear down, and behave as the man or the woman in your dream. What God has said in his word is true. When do you declare what God has said in his word about you is true? When you've arrived? Well, let me tell you something. The minute you and Jesus hooked up, you arrived. When you're in the collar of iron, you've already arrived. Look, can I ask you a question? When was Joseph a successful man? 
when God raised him up to be prime minister, was that when he was a successful man? No. When God was with him. When his brothers threw him in the pit and, he, and they sold him. And he went down in irons. He was a successful man. Potiphar didn't know it, but he bought a successful man on that slave block that day. Are you listening to me? When they threw him into Pharaoh's prison, he was a successful man. And he himself had nothing to hold on to except God. And he held on to God. He had nothing else, but he held on to God. You see, sometimes you and I, when we, when we start losing stuff, we throw God away. Wrong move. Can I offer that advice to you this morning? When things start going bad and, and everything gets stripped away from you, if you throw God away, wrong move. You're throwing God away because you think that your circumstances and the iron is what God has called you to, but it's what God's called you through. You've got to believe that. Are you listening to me? He was successful the moment that God joined him. In fact, where the Scripture says he went down to Egypt and he was a successful man, I, I took the liberty to look up the word in the Bible, success. I wanted to see what it meant. If the Bible says that Joseph was a successful man, then I want to know what that word success means. And in the original Hebrew language, when the Bible was written and it said he was a successful man, it literally means, are you ready for this? To push forward. To push forward. Well, he's in irons. He's a slave, got no rights, no money. How's he supposed to push forward? He's got nothing to push with. Are you listening to me? Apparently, Joseph's not doing all the pushing. Are you listening to me? It also means not only to push forward, it means to break out. I'm sure he wished he could have done that a, a couple of times. He spent years in that prison. And yet it means to break out. A successful man to break out. He's in the prison. But the Lord's got a breakout planned for him. Can you say amen? Why did God break him out? In order to make him a successful man, no, God broke him out because he was a successful man. <laughs> I know you didn't hear that. It also not, it not only means to break out, but it means to come mightily. Come mightily. Wow, you know, if you were a slave and then you ended up being a prisoner, you might not feel too mighty. But a successful man is one who comes mightily. It means to go over. So put them all together, push forward, break out, come mightily, go over. It also means be good. Not be good in your behavior, but, ooh, that's good. That's what it means. A successful man, people go, oh, that's good. They're in the prison. Ratty, raggedy, stinking prisoners. They all looked at Joseph and said, that's good. He's good. Guy's good. Next time they saw him. He was in the finest robes of the empire as prime minister of the land. Was he any different? No. He was that man when he was in prison. That's why he was that man at Pharaoh's right hand. Come on, church. You want to know what success is all about? Don't look at the outward circumstances. Look inside and check your heart. God is with you. That's what makes you a success. Can you say amen? 
In fact, when I look at this definition of a successful man, I realize that success has nothing to do with the outcome in your life. It describes the acts of God working in you that bring you to the outcome. Look at those descriptions again. Push forward, break out, come mightily, go forward. He didn't break out. He didn't push forward once he became the prime minister. He was doing that the moment that he became a slave even before this may seem foolish, but when he said to his brothers and his dad, you all are, I saw you guys in a dream, and you were all around me and bowing down to me. He was breaking out. Might have been, it might have been like a 16-year-old would break out. When he was 26, 36, I bet he was a little more wise, but he was breaking out the whole time. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Success is not something you arrive at. Success is what you are because Jesus is with you. You're not waiting to be successful. You either are or you aren't. And success is determined by whether Jesus is with you. Is he Lord of your life? Is he not Lord of your life? Come on. I want to finish with this thought this morning. It'll bring us to this altar call. Here's the thought. Judge yourselves by God's higher measure. Judge yourself, not by your circumstances, but by God's higher measure. What do I mean by that? I mean that the world measures success by what you've accomplished or what you've accumulated. I guarantee you there's men sitting in this sanctuary this morning, and women for that matter, who at this stage in your life, you may be carrying a heavy yoke or a burden or dragging a dead weight of regret behind you, feeling that you were not the success, have not been or are not, the success that you had hoped to be when you started out when you were 18 or 20 years old. You may be looking at yourself right now and thinking of your family, thinking of yourself, thinking of yourself in terms of career, thinking of yourself in terms of any other particular area of your life, dragging a great weight of regret behind you and feeling that you have not become a success. You have not accumulated what you wanted to accumulate or accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. But this message has, has some good news for you this morning because those things are the things that the world measures success by, accumulation and accomplishment, accumulation and accomplishment. It feels bad when your neighbor drives up with the new car and you're still driving that thing you've had for 15 years, just a lick and a prayer and keeping it together and having to check your checkbook to see if you've got enough money to have those repairs or new tires changed on that thing. Every two years, they've got a new one sitting in their driveway. It might feel bad. might might uh, be discouraging for you. And do I believe that God would want to bless us and prove our circumstances and, and lift us up materially as well as spiritually and in every other way? Absolutely. Absolutely, the Lord would want to bless us. But remember... You're called to go through, not to, those circumstances. He's called you through the iron, through the fetters. So judge yourself. Begin by judging yourself by a different measure, by God's measure. The world's measure says you are the sum of your accomplishments and your accumulation. But I want to encourage you to live by God's higher measure. The story of Joseph dramatically illustrates the fact that good success is Jesus being with you. 
if Jesus is with you, you are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty woman of valor. You are a success today if Jesus is with you. Can you say amen? And can I say to you about success in life? Joseph did become prime minister. There's no doubt about it. He didn't die in that prison. He became prime minister. You should want to be a successful person in Christ. It bothers me that some Christians wince and balk at that statement. That you should want to be a success. Everyone who God touched in their life was raised up. Everyone, their platform was enlarged. Their situation improved. They might have gone through persecution, but Jesus said this about the hundredfold return. He said, every one of you that have forsaken lands, houses, brethren, families, children, money, for my sake and the gospels, will receive in this lifetime a hundredfold with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. I can take the persecution. Whether I get the hundredfold or not, I've got Jesus. I am a success. So the persecution is going to come. Came to Jesus, it's going to come to us. But you know what? If you are not desiring to be a success in your life, you are selling the call of God short in your life. You should desire to be a success. Just don't do it by the world's standard of measure. Just don't do it going out there resenting and coveting the things of the world, measuring yourself by their standards. Do it before your knees, before God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. But don't give up. Believe God. Prosper where you're at. Be successful as a Christian in the circumstances that you're presently in and presently under because that scenery all changes. But you and Christ, you and Jesus, stay the same. Let the scenes change. I believe God for the scenery to improve. And if it seems to get bad in my life or get worse, I just know that that means the better scenes are coming. But you know what? I'm not going to sit around and whine until they do. Praise Him and serve Him today. Hallelujah. Promotion is on the way. Somebody say praise the Lord. I said promotion is on the way. God never intended for any of His children to live a meaningless life. Do you realize that you carry the most successful being in the universe within you? You carry the most successful being in all the universe inside of you. Who's more successful than Jesus? Is there anyone more successful than Jesus? He is a success. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. Who's doing that? He triumphed over Satan. Now, Satan brought Pharaoh down, but Jesus triumphed over Satan. Are you listening to me? He paid the debt of mankind's sins. You may not have two nickels to rub together. But Jesus paid the debt of the sin of all of mankind. Who's more successful than Jesus? Jesus defeated death and he rose from the grave. Who is more successful than Jesus? There's absolutely no failure in him. And you need to take that last statement to the bank. There's no failure in Jesus. He never failed. He never even got close. You know what? He didn't even have a bad day. Even his darkest day 
was appointed and he embraced it as the absolute will of the Father. The Bible says in his darkest moment, he triumphed over the devil through the cross. The darkest moment of Jesus when he was on the cross, he was applying his greatest victory, the, the death knell, the nail in the coffin to Lucifer. Hallelujah. Who's more successful than Jesus? You don't carry a failure in you. You carry the most successful being in all of the universe. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, and I am going to jump right into this verse. People avoid this thing like the plague, but we're going to just put it right in front of you this morning. For you know the grace. Everyone say grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, you cannot like that. It can bother you that the Bible says that you, through his poverty, should become rich, that that's God's, not only God's will, but that was his grace. But you cannot argue with the fact that it's right there in the Word. God said it. 2 Corinthians 8 9. What does it mean? Does it mean that God wants all of us to live like we've just won the lottery? Well, I hope it does in my case. I, I'm just going to be just plain honest about it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But, you know, I'm 61 years old. It hasn't happened yet. But I'm not whining. Hallelujah. I've been living a prosperous life all these years. Praise the Lord. I am driving the same car I've been driving for 11 years. But I'm not complaining. God's been good to me. It's paid for. Hallelujah. I don't have the best house, and there's some problems with it in our neighborhood. But it, I don't have a mortgage. God's good. Somebody say praise the Lord. God's with me. Hallelujah. So, yeah, you know, I'd like to be richer than I am, but I am rich. And, you know, there's no telling where it's all going to end up before it's done. But you know what? I want to be a success. I want to be a success. I look at our congregation and I think, this should be, this should be 5,000 people in here instead of 50 in this church. It should be 5,000. Really should be. I could, I could think of 5,000 people that need to be here. Just right now, hallelujah. But you know what? Hallelujah. I'm a success. This is a great church. Awesome people. Life flowing. Hallelujah. Jesus moving. Glory to God. Listen to me this morning. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though we were rich, he became poor for the very purpose of delivering you from the poverty of failure. Making you his son so that he could be with you. Making you his daughter so that you could have him with you and live a successful life. And if you don't want to be a success, you're denying the Lord a big price he paid to bring about his purpose in your life. You should be shooting a little higher. Some of you should be going before God saying, Lord, clear this obstacle out from before me. 
in Jesus' name. Again, you're not living by the world's standards, living by his standards. I want to be successful as a child of God. I want to be an overcomer. I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to see the lost get saved. And I want to let God put under my stewardship great things that I might manage for his glory. Can you say amen? And so let me close with this thought. Jesus bore the shame of failure in order to restore to you the wealth of succeeding in life. That was what sin cost you, and the Lord paid a big price to restore the success that he called and created us to have. Again, those words that describe the word successful man, break out, come mightily, go over. I meditated on those words this morning before the service, and I made a little note at the end of my message this morning because this popped into my mind. Those words, break out, come mightily, go over, all of a sudden I realized what they meant. These are words that describe people rising up and defeating the siege that has been laid against them. Has the devil banked up a siege of poverty against you? Has the devil banked up and surrounded you with a siege of oppression? Has he laid siege to your life with acts of failure, betrayal, resentment from others, criticisms, rejections, whatever they may be, whatever lack you have experienced in your life? Maybe some of those problems you've created yourself. Maybe you've laid siege to yourself. I don't care, and I don't think it matters. What I do know is that the Lord has called you to be successful and to break the siege. Let me say it again. God's called you to break the siege. He broke the siege against Joseph. And could I say one thing to you if you didn't catch this about Joseph? Why did he spend all those years in prison? And then two years after he interpreted the dream, he spent another two years in there. Why? Because God said a famine is coming seven years from now. And so he stayed there. The whole world is turning, and God has called you to be a world changer. God has a history line that's going through the world, and your moment may be yet to come. It's not all about you. It's about the world, and it's about God, and it's about his plan. And so he stayed in that prison until it was time for him to come out. But the whole time he was there, he was prospering. You know, I don't know why. Maybe God let him live that ironic, that excessively ironic life for the greater glory. That's what it says. Consider your calling so that no one could say, God went out and got the best people to do this. No, God reached into the prison. He reached into the toilet. He reached into the ditch to get the people that would do the things that would make such a difference when it really mattered. And so God has put a breaking of the siege in you this morning. I want you to close your Bible and stand with me. If the enemy has banked up a siege against your life, God has called that siege to be broken. The siege of poverty must break. The siege of sickness must break. The siege of failure must break. 
Are you listening this morning? You are a successful person if Jesus is Lord of your life. You, no matter what your circumstances, plus God, equal success. That's what the Bible says. Why is the Lord going to break that siege over your life this morning? Because someone special is going to pray over you? Because, um, because uh, well, because of anything you can think of other than the fact that the siege breaker lives in you, that he is Lord of your life. That's what makes you a successful person. Somebody say praise the Lord if you know what I'm talking about today. Close your eyes. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you today out of many different conditions, places, and walks of life. For you have gathered us, and we all have this in common. God is with us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The success is in us. The successful one is in us. And we choose today to not believe that the circumstances that have afflicted our life are your statement about who we are. But we believe that we are the overcomer. We are the ones, Lord, who grace is working in. And I just want to say thank you, Father, before we, before we pray for people today. I just want to say thank you. That, Lord, it's because of you. It's because of what you've done. It's because of who you are in us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We will measure ourselves by your measure. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen. amen. Now, before we go this morning, if you're here today in your personal life, there's an immediate situation, and you know that that siege that the enemy has laid against you is a lie from the enemy. It must break. I want us to pray for you. Pastor Terry and I would like to lay hands on you and pray for you. If you want prayer this morning, there's an anointing to break the siege. That siege is a lie. You're not called to it. You're called through it. And there's an anointing to break you out. I want you to come down here. We want to pray for you today.